Welcome to ProctorCast, where we bring you plain English interviews all about the most relevant procurement topics of the day in short, coffee break-sized episodes. Because hey, time's precious and you have got value to deliver. So now let's get straight into this week's show. Yes, welcome to another edition of ProctorCast, your bi-weekly dose of procurement goodness. And this week we're delving into a topic that is very much not spoken about at all really in various channels. And while you hear a lot about public sector procurement, we, what we don't really hear much about in publications and on LinkedIn and in conferences is how procurement works in the charity and nonprofit sector. And other than me personally being very interested in this in terms of making sure that charities get the best value for money and that more of, uh, of our hard-earned money that we donate goes to the right cause, it's also a really interesting case study to learn a little bit more about procurement challenges and boundaries and opportunities in a sector that is not for commercial gain, obviously. So to do this, I'd like to welcome onto ProctorCast Verity White, who is head of procurement at the Prince's Trust. And we're going to dive a little bit more into this topic and learn a little bit more about the nonprofit sector. So hi, Verity, and thanks for coming on. Hi. Thanks for having me, James. Great to be here. Fantastic. So before we dive in, maybe if you could just tell me a little bit about your background and what you're seeing out there in terms of trends or initiatives as a function to sort of elevate, elevate procurement and, and the work that we do uh, within the charity and nonprofit sector. Yeah, no problem. So I started off um, falling into procurement, as many do, around about 13, 14 years <laughs> ago. <we> all? <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, I know. I actually came from a sales background, which I think has been, been quite useful, I think, in my procurement career. I uh, started off working local government, central government, uh, a lot of NHS work, had my own consultancy for a while. Um, and now I've ended up uh, setting up and running the procurement department at the Prince's Trust. Um, and I've now also been elected the, uh, the exec chair of the charity sector procurement group in the UK as well. So lots to do. Um, as you might guess from me saying that I'm setting up the procurement department in the Prince's Trust, <laughs> procurement in the charitable sector um, isn't as mature as you might want it to be. Um, certainly if you look at things like the news articles that have been coming out about the, the children's uh, charity and things like that, so there's been a lot of interesting stuff coming out this week um, around some of their financial failings. I think that it's something maybe the charitable sector hasn't thought about because they've been dealing with income, the income's been going through, they've been paying for what they need and they haven't really thought about the kind of nuances of procurement and very much seen it in that old school kind of purchasing way rather than the strategic emphasis that it can have. But we are trying to change that. <laughs> and despite what you may think, it is not as mature as it would like, as it should be in in many in many corporate organisations as well. And and certainly when you look around Europe, I mean, I I live in I live in Eastern Europe. I've I've spent uh, I've spent time in my career working in South Africa and, and Nigeria of all places as well. And once you get outside of sort of major Western economies. A lot of the challenges that you just explained are, are just as apparent and almost, I guess, as widespread uh, in for-profit companies too. Um, so you said that you're just setting up the procurement function and it hasn't had much attention as maybe it should have in the past in mm. uh, in the Prince's Trust and, and in general in the charitable sector. It's 
typically less mature than in in for-profit companies so how what what sort of ways can can nonprofits leverage their spend maybe maybe with their peers for example because i guess depending on the charity you're all buying similar stuff you know in terms of certainly in terms of fundraising events and in terms of certain you know office and facilities and that type of thing so are there any examples where you could do that similar i guess in in ways that a lot of universities and for example the the nhs the national health service in the uk uh, have have group uh, procurement functions yeah so we're looking at that as part of the charity sector procurement work that i do um we're looking at the the potential for collaborative tendering moving forward something that's really interesting about the charitable sector is we have two different routes or loosely two different routes for our income one is obviously donations fundraising all of that good stuff that we're raising ourselves the other is income contracts and the income contracts often come from EU funding (laughs) or from public sector funding. And what's really interesting about those contracts is that a lot of them have public sector procurement legislation written into them. So our charity are finding out, and I'm sure a lot of charities in the same situation, that we actually have to have two different procurement policies running at the same time. One for our Prince's Trust money and one for the money that's coming in from EU or public sector because there's different legislations around how we can spend them. Oh, wow. So that complicates things slightly. Um, So you're running with two different different income things so depending on what money you're spending will depend on what route to market you go through so that's one of the hurdles that we have to jump when looking at collaborative tendering is actually what type of process do we go through to make that fit for purpose for every charity that wants in on it. Um, Also, being charities, we run a very tight ship staff-wise, so our teams are so small it is ridiculous. Um, I was the only person at the Prince's Trust doing procurement until my first procurement manager started over the summer this year, Um, and you're doing everything you know, everything from checking that the POs are going through correctly and have followed the policy all the way through to the strategy of how we're going to develop procurement into the next year. So it's a very, very busy job and you have to switch your mind to lots of different places. But I think one of the things that the group that I run is really good at is sharing best practice and sharing knowledge and coming up with those ideas for collaborative procurement moving forward. So I think it's we're not there yet with collaborative procurement it, because it is such early days and everyone's struggling for time, but it's somewhere where we're getting. We're starting to do some good benchmarking, looking at various different categories of spend that we, like, like you mentioned, things like legal spend, professional services, stuff like that, that we actually are all spending money on. If possible, we're trying to benchmark what we're spending, who we're spending it with, and then also look at opportunities on public sector frameworks, but also look at opportunities through our own tendering as well. And you mentioned that with the work that you're doing with with developing and growing the the charity sector's procurement group, the CSPG, uh, you're coming into contact with you know lots of different peers in your in in your industry sector as well. I mean, would you say with what you described the situation that you walked in at the Prince's Trust? Do you think that's typical of the non-profit sector in, I mean, I guess you can't compare to Europe, but in, in the UK, or do you think you're a little bit ahead of the curve now that you have, I guess, two procurement people? Uh, ooh, two whole people. <laughs> um, no, it's, I think, um, I think it's very, very typical. Um, when I talk to other members there, there are some people that are running the procurement departments that have got absolutely no background in procurement whatsoever. They've come from the finance team or they've come from from governance somewhere and they're trying to get to grips with all of these various different regulations that they have to follow. So that's one of the things that's great about the group is you've got, you know, huge charitable 
companies and really tiny ones all sitting in the same space that can all share that information. So even if you are struggling, there's someone that can help you. Um, but I think it is very typical. I think it's very, very typical. Procurement doesn't have a seat at the table um, in most charities, I would say. And I think as we go through an economic downturn, you know, obviously the impact of COVID and then the impact of Brexit, um, the UK is going to be in a really difficult place and our income as charities has gone down quite, quite considerably. And I think more and more pressure is going to be put on these procurement teams and potentially, and I actually said this um, a few weeks ago, it was our national conference for the charity sector group. And I actually said this, that it's really our time to shine now. It's our time to show and prove what we can do as procurement professionals to the sector. So I'm actually quite excited about us going into this downturn because it really puts intense pressure on us but it's a fabulous opportunity yeah and it makes a lot of sense too because um like you say if revenues are going down and, and if people who are giving money are going to be a lot more selective about who they give it to then i guess part of your marketing in future could be that you know proportionally you know more pence in the pound that you donate to us goes to the end cause versus you know some other charities that are out there so yeah i i absolutely see you know as a consumer or as a giver that potential yeah. uh, value proposition and also looking at our you know looking strategically and holistically at our entire cost base rather than just in silo um, yeah. there's a massive silo mentality you know in in within each charity as well so it's actually how do we look at our charity as one thing but then also look at the charitable sector and see what we can influence working together other other than resource what do you see as the other biggest challenges as a procurement leader in a in a non-profit organization um i think managing with a number of different policies going on at the same time can be quite confusing if, if people don't specifically make it clear what income they're spending so sometimes you'll give them advice for one thing and actually you've given them a wrong advice because they need to follow og or something like that and uh, that's always fun um but generally i think um People in the charitable sector, I found, are uh, there's a lot of really good-hearted people, and they really want to do a good job. But I think that procurement, because it is such a new function, is not understood just in general in the sector. Um, and so that's what you know. I personally, and also through the group, and also through my work in the Prince's Trust as well, that's what we want to try and change. We want people to understand the value of a good procurement team that we can offer you. If you invest X amount, you're going to get a return on investment because we'll be able to save you Y because there's this many people that can look at strategy for buying and the way in which we can change things. So I think that that communication and that engagement and that knowledge piece really is very, very behind the times. And that for me is the, is the biggest challenge. Like yeah. there's lots of good hearted people. They're not doing things. They're not doing things badly on purpose. You know, they're not trying to be difficult. It's just, they haven't taken time to understand actually what procurement can do. So, so who is your typical reporting line in the nonprofit sector and who are your key stakeholders? Cause I guess that's going to differ to some extent from the private sector. Yeah, so we don't really have CPOs or anything. Um, it's mainly um, most of my peers, including myself, report into the CFO. Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously we're reporting into the board, sitting on the senior leadership team and helping drive some sort of strategy, but not involved kind of in the board day to day. Um, so in through the CFO, generally seen as part of the finance team, which I'm not a massive fan of because we still get so many questions about how do you do set up this supplier and how do you purchase this PO and actually that sits outside of our remit that more sits with the finance team because you know they have way more stuff than we do. Um, so I think 
it, it's it's difficult to separate yourself from finance, but also having the support of the CFO is really really good. But even in more in more mature procurement organisations, also in in the private sector, that separating operational and transactional procurement from strategic procurement is yeah. it's an age old problem because if you've got a if you've oh got God. a crabby stakeholder <laughs> or a supplier that's not being paid, he's not going to go to some outsourced shared service centre in India or wherever. He's going to come to you. So yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's the same yeah. everywhere. Yeah, I think it, I think stakeholder engagement is just one of those joys that we all all procurement professionals have that one stakeholder that never does what they're told. It doesn't matter where I go. I mean, as I said, I was a consultant for a while, so I've been all over the place, met so many different people. And there's always one department that just doesn't want to play ball. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I would love to get to the stage where kind of everybody just kind of did what you said, but I just don't think that's human nature. I don't think that's ever going to happen. And I think as procurement people, we'd be bored anyway, if it did. Yeah, I think that's the impossible dream, which the sector you're working yeah. in so if we were to touch base again in two or three years time with what you're doing with your work for the for the charity sector procurement group what, where would you hope to be by that point in terms of its evolution so I'm certainly hoping so I, I've like I said just been elected chair so I'm now chair for two two to three years depending on what happens um I want us to just raise more awareness of what we do. I want us to look at collaborating more. So certainly, you know, setting up our own framework, stuff like that. If we have the resource time to be able to do that, that would be fantastic. I don't want us to become like a Crown Commercial Services, like a kind of framework factory, but there are certain things in the charitable sector that are different to other sectors. And then there are certain things that are the same. So those things that are nuanced and different, I think it would be really good to concentrate on those areas. Um, I want to launch some good projects into our tail end spend management. Obviously it's not even really been looked at yet. Um, and I'm also looking to launch a charity sector procurement award. Um, so I want to emulate what's been going on in the public sector with the GO Awards, but for the charitable sector to really raise the profile of actually the great work that the procurement people are doing. If you want to learn how not to run an event and award ceremony, then watch our Proctopus Christmas party <laughs> this evening. Oh, my and, God. Uh, <laughs> And it, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm it's, a, it's our first rodeo and we're all a little bit nervous. But. Oh, bless you. No, that sounds amazing. I, I Yeah, that's, I, I'm, I'm going to pick your brains on that one. <laughs> but it, sounds, it sounds interesting what you're saying about tail end spend management, because I guess another mm. area that the charity sector hasn't looked at much in the past is getting external expertise Obviously, I work in this area, so I'm not plugging my own services, <laughs> but getting ex getting external expertise in to look at that type of problem, because if if there's not much procurement knowledge out there and then you've got to try and use that little resource that you have into directing it towards the strategic vendors and the biggest opportunities, you've still got all of that noise around you, haven't you? And it's extracting yourself away from that. Yeah, we can't touch. I mean, really, we are only touching the high value and the high risk stuff in the very small team that I have at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, anything under our, our threshold cutoff, we can't guarantee that it's been spent in line with how it should be spent, which is a horrible place for me to be in as kind of the leader of the function, because I'm like, well, I can say that these ones were done properly, but all of these ones I can't tell you. <laughs> um, and there's so much mess and noise. Like you said, you know, charitable sector, we give away a lot of grants, a lot of gifts to people. How's that been? done you know in the princess trust we work with young people all the time we give away what we call development awards we might be buying them a hairdressing kit to start a course or a computer or a horse grooming kit or a drill i mean it can be literally anything so this tail end spend that we've got is completely bonkers uh, and really really varied <laughs> wow <laughs> 
that's a little bit more diverse than uh, than buying than buying yeah. MRO for uh, for for an FMCG company, which is from my background. Yeah, it's 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 very very diverse. I think luckily I'm used to a, a bit of a mental supply chain because of my work in the NHS and the supply chain into the NHS is although it's all kind of medical and surgical. It, it's a minefield. So it doesn't phase me looking at a tail end spend of lots and lots of random different things because I'm kind of used to it. It's just they are so different. <laughs> like, you know, it's not like you can put in one contract that's going to kind of capture them all. It's so many different categories constantly. Wow, that's, uh, you've got your hands full there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so my last question, Verity, before we sign off, and, and this is kind of an open-ended question, but um, obviously, nonprofits are not going to be able to compete on salary with some of the bigger corporate organizations out there to get the best talent. So, what are the what are the areas that you could highlight that that are, other than other than the rewarding factor of of doing something good uh, for the public good? What are the other sort of soft benefits of of working for a nonprofit? Um, working hours. <laughs> I mean, de- de- sorry, so de- definitely from the nonprofit sector, well-being and health of their employees is like top, top, top of their list. Um, they always make sure that everyone's okay. The flexibility of your working pattern is really, really big. I've been home worker since I started here. Um, they are not phased by that. It's not something that scares them. They are just, you know, and you get way, way, way more uh, leave as well. So, you know, rather than working a 40 hour week and having 20 days leave, you've got 30 days leave and you're working a 30 hour week, you know? So yeah, you are earning less, but actually, you know, you're working from home, you're, you're not you're not having to spend so much money on traveling and stuff like that. You're getting much more soft benefits, I think. And generally, you know, what drives everyone else in the company that you're in as well, everyone is there for the good of the people that the charity is actually helping. So it tends to attract a certain slightly more altruistic person, which I find it makes a really nice environment. That's all very, very good arguments. And it's re- I was really keen to touch on that because I think going forward now, I think 2020 has shown a lot of people that some of the softer benefits of various employers are, are going to be more attractive going forward especially you know speaking from experience location independence is a huge one for me so yeah thank you for sharing that so finally verity if anyone would like to learn more about what you're doing or get in touch what's the best way that they can get in contact with you so if you look for me verity white on um i don't know why i did jazz hands there for those of you that are listening to the podcast you're not going to see the jazz hands but there were jazz hands um, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Just look for me, Verity White. Um, you'll see a very smiley person um, and you'll be able to see that I work at the Prince's Trust as well. Uh, if you want to have a look at the Prince's Trust and what they do, obviously, uh, princestrust.org.uk is our website. So do go and check us out. We're going to be very busy in the next few years looking after the fallout of, uh, of our various different issues on all of the young people in the UK. So, yeah, please do have a look. Verity, it's been really insightful and and very informative for me to learn a little bit more about your sector and i'm really glad that you came on because uh yeah i think attracting good procurement uh, talent into the charity sector is is a huge plus and any little bit that we can do here at proctobus to promote that we will gladly do so good luck for the future thanks for being a great guest and take care take care too bye so I learned a lot from that interview with Verity. And as you can tell, she's very passionate about what she does, which is obviously a great advantage of working in the charitable sector for something that you really believe in. If you work in procurement in a similar area that's a little bit more obscure and doesn't get that much press coverage, then please reach out and we'd love to have you on the show too. 
And finally, just before we sign off, if you like what we're doing on ProctorCast, then please subscribe or follow us wherever you prefer to listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you again for listening. See you next time and enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are. Cheers. (music) 